Coming up on the show this week, we sit down with Ryan Campbell to discuss the start of the Netherlands ODI Super League campaign. But first, a shout out to some new emerging cricket patrons. If you're passionate about cricket in the associate world and beyond, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an emerging cricket patron. A huge shout out to our latest patrons, Richard Oldroyd and Tom Dunmore. Thank you so much for joining the EC movement. To sign up, log into Patreon. That's patrairwen.com slash cricket. As always, Nick Skinner and Tim Cutler join me for this one. Enjoy yet another Emerging Cricket Podcast. Well, over the last week, the Netherlands finally began their World Cup Super League campaign almost four years after qualifying for the competition and after two wins from three against Ireland. We're joined by Dutch men's coach Ryan Campbell. Welcome again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Uh, always a pleasure to be here with you guys. Uh, looking forward to a good chat ahead. Uh, you could well be the clubhouse leader in terms of guest appearances on the pod. We are just chatting before. I think it's you, Carl Kutzer, and maybe Anchi Raff. So I think PDP's been on a couple of times. Yes, oh, true. We had a couple of parts with, with PDP. Great to have you back. Uh, on the outside, it looked like a pretty good week for you guys overall. Two wins out of three, but most importantly, 20 Super League points in the quest for World Cup qualification. How did you assess the week as a whole? Uh, look, I'll be honest. If someone had a, came up to me before the whole series started and said, look, we'll give you 20 points now, I probably would have shook your hand and, and taken that and walked away. But look, in, in all honesty, I think the pressure that the Dutch and we were under coming into this series, uh, we didn't go so well against Island A. We were okay against Scotland, but again, pretty disappointing in, in the second match against a good team. Don't get me wrong, Scotland are a really good team. But you know, when you come into a, a competition for the first time, and, and let's be honest here, I think around the world, a lot of teams didn't even know we're in it. They don't even know what the Super League was. And, you know, the, the pressure of also for us was to represent all associate countries and to put up a great fight and, and to be competitive, you know, because the last thing we want to do is get blown out of the water three times. And then, you know, the powers of be are sort of already going, oh, this is a mistake. You know, let's get competitive cricket and all this sort of stuff. But, you know, from that side of things, it was, it was really pleasing. And the way our players fought on that first day when, you know, we could have been blown out of the water at five for 50. And it was our younger, no-name players, Buster Lader, uh, Sakib Zulfika, who set the platform for then Timmy van der Guten and Logan Van Bake to take over you know, to set what was a competitive total. And, you know, we, we felt confident about that. And again, on day two, our batting was, wasn't was great. The disappointing thing was, even though it was a difficult wicket, all our batters got a start except for Ben Cooper, and we should have made more runs. And then, you know, the wicket flattened out nicely. And of course, Sterling and Balburnie are, are class players and, and they set the tone. So look, over the weekend, it could have been very easy for the guys to get a bit nervous. You know, it wasn't our best effort. What are we going to do? But again, instead of shying away from the challenge, uh, you know, our one motto for the, that whole last game was, you know, to be brave. But to be brave, you have to believe. And you have to believe in yourself and you have to believe in your teammates. And um, at the end of the day, what a fantastic result for Dutch cricket. Yeah, you spoke about being brave there. The Kampong surface did look a little bit tricky to deal with from a batting point of view as well. It looked like the guys copped a few uh, bruises from from the brutality of it all. How did everyone pull up at the end? Yeah, look, it wasn't easy. But again, in the defense of Kampong, you know, we've had 
so much spring rain here. Like leading into the game, if I could have shown you a photo of the Thursday training, you know, leading into the week where it was going to, we were going to play, mate, it looked like a lake. And to be honest, you know, we just thought we're not playing here at all. And, you know, we thankfully the, the sun came out a little bit over the weekend and, and the, the strong wind kind of helped dry the wickets. But again, it was dry on top, but underneath there was just so much water. And generally, our grounds, that's the one thing we deal with. There's a lot of water here in the Netherlands. We uh, we live under sea level as it is. But um, look, let's not hide the fact that they were tough wickets. But again, in all honesty, I think actually Ireland got the better of the batting conditions on it in every match. You know, And the second game, it flattened out quite nicely in the afternoon. And then the first game, it was even easier to bat in the afternoon. And then you know, I thought they won the toss. They batted first and probably got the best of the conditions uh, on day three. In terms of that poor weather that you have had in the Dutch season so far, how's that impacted or how did it impact the, the preparation for you guys? Because it looked like a lot of the games, especially in the top classes so far this season, haven't been played due to wet weather. Mate, we, we haven't had a preparation in all honesty. It's, you know, I think uh, RCC, which is one of our top teams, had played two games or something. They'd had six washed out. When we went to Ireland for the A trip, you know, they'd had so much rain there. We missed the first day and then we, you know, we changed the fixtures. But the wickets were so wet that, you know, as a batter, we got knocked over and, and Ireland's top order got knocked over. So there was no way to get confidence through the batting group, to be honest. And, um, you know, even our series against Scotland was pretty tough because it literally should have rained. And again, we changed the final fixture to move forward because Friday was supposed to be horrendous as well. So, look, that hasn't been kind, but we have to do what we have to do. And, you know, we spent a lot of time indoors, which is not great at this time of year. You know, even if you've cast your mind back to the um, the Nepal T20 series, mate, we had two days outside before we played that. And, and again, everyone could rave on about how well Nepal played, and, and they did. They played really well. But going in, our fast bowlers hadn't even known what their run-ups were, you know. So it was that's quite tough um, to get over. And again, when you're playing really good teams you need to be at your peak of your game. So that's the other thing that really, you know, makes me very proud of, of what the side did, that, you know, the, the preparation wasn't great. There was nothing really we could do about it. So you talked about some of your so-called no-name players standing up. Who were you proudest of coming out of this, seeing what uh, what pressure the squad was under? Oh, easily Buster later. Um, if everyone looks at Buster's history, you know, he spent two years out of the team with stress fractures and has been fighting his way back. And with some of our bigger name players not playing, um, he was always going to be a pivotal role. But, you know, the facts where he made runs in the pool in one game and then missed out in the last, but then went to the Island Tour, 0-0-0 against Scotland, 0-1 and one or something. Very easily, the talk could have been, let's leave this kid out. But, you know, sometimes you have to stand fast by your selections and say, you know what, this kid is our talent and we have to back him and we have to back him the whole way. And, you know, what Bus brings to us is the fact that he can bowl first change if we need it or with a new ball. He's our best fielder. And as a batter, he will develop into an absolute gun. And, you know, guys who are listening to this will probably just look at the, the, the scorecards and say, oh, well, he only made 20, 20 and 18 or something. But if you look at the amount of balls he sucked up and created partnerships in difficult times, you know, day one, it was five for 50. Day two, it was five for 50. And then day three, 
when we lost the couple, we started well, but we lost Myberg, then we lost Edwards. It could have been easy to sort of go, oh, well, here we go again. But he righted the ship. So, yeah, I'm extremely pleased with the direction he's going. And again, as an associate country, we know that our youngsters are our gold and we have to take very good care of them. You know, Vikram Singh is another one of them, but his form going through it was just so bad that we couldn't keep backing him at the top of the order. Hence, Steph Myberg got his opportunity. So, look, Buss is a special player for us. And I think, again, without blowing too much smoke up his bottom, but uh, he'll probably, you know, captain the Netherlands in not too distant future after Peter Saylor will go down. If, if he reaches his potential, as probably one of the greats of Dutch cricket. That's a hell of a rap for a young kid in his early 20s. Um, just sort of looking at uh, your approach to the, the team composition over the last few years, and, you know, one of the things has been a lot of experimentation with the lineups and a lot of sort of a lot of debuts and a lot of young players coming in. So I guess, do you think it's paying off and that you have the depth now to, to move forward? Because we saw, we might get to it later, but, we, you know, we saw that you were missing a few uh, first choice players. Uh, yeah, well, you know, my style of captain uh, coaching, sorry, is, um, you know, when I took over the Dutch, I knew we were a very competitive unit, but they probably used the same nine players every game. And to me, that sense is, yes, you can be good, but you've got no depth of talent. And I, I guess for me, you know, I made it no secret that I was going to find more talent and give the talent opportunities to, to nurture. And sometimes, you know, we've had to make some hard calls and say goodbye to a few of our senior players but for me to go forward I needed to give some of those youngsters some breathing room and opportunities to play and I'm not disrespecting Ireland because I think Graham Ford since he's taken over has reinvigorated his list and you're seeing a lot of youngsters going before him but until he came about mate Ireland were the same they played the same team all the time and their senior players all they wanted to do was to get that first test match which I understand but you then suddenly have a, a vacuum of talent that goes And suddenly, none of these players had played before. So I was never going to be that sort of coach. My goal is always to leave. At some point, if I go home, I've left Dutch cricket in a a better state than when I got here. And to do that, I I need depth of talent. And that's why I'll continue to promote youngsters. You know, it's why before the World Cup qualifiers, we never called back any of our county players. We just kept exposing our youngsters because they need to play. They need to know how hard international cricket is. And... You know, if they can get it right, again, you're going to get it wrong sometimes as, a, as the coach and as the selector. Of course, I'm going to get it wrong, but I'd rather be wrong trying for the right reasons than just to play safe. And, you know, like I say, I, I knew that we probably wouldn't get all our county players, you know, mid-season of an English summer. So that's the goal. Obviously, a guy like Wes Baracy was one that probably we were hoping to stay a little bit longer, but, you know, Wes decided that it was time for him to stand down and, uh, retire from cricket, which is, you know, was obviously disappointing for us. But we have what we have, and we now we have to make these youngsters really, really passionate and really, really excellent players that are going to stand up to international cricket. Because, mate, it's not going to get easier from here. We go and face South Africa next after the World Cup, which they're going to face blokes bowling 150 kilometres an hour. If I'm not preparing them for that, then, mate, they're going to get hurt. So. Yes, you, you mentioned these upcoming series next summer and, and that will be in the um, the English summer and the county players will presumably be, be contracted over in England. And you know one of the talking points around this series is the fact that basically the whole middle order was unavailable. Colin Ackerman, Ryan Tenderskater and 
rule of fandom over. So yes, clearly that leaves a, a hole in the in the lineup. But just thinking a bit more broadly, um, how tricky is it for you guys to try and get those players into the team given their their contractual situation? Right. It, it, it's a jigsaw puzzle that starts a long way out from any series. And look, there there is no easy answer. We obviously have great relationships with most of the counties and, and we try and deal with them as best we can and try to give them as, as much warning as we can. I think we're starting to get into a new situation now where in the past when the Dutch played, yes, theoretically they were ODIs, but they were just against associate countries. So you know, the counties would go, oh, well, it's not really important unless it's a World Cup qualifier or anything like that. But now that we are in the Super League, the stakes are high and they are. Every, every game is a World Cup qualifier. So I'm hoping that this series kind of showed the way. Again, you know, having our, our fast bowlers come across, Timmy Vandergoot and Freddie Claston and Brandon Glover was fantastic for us. And we're hoping that next time we can have everyone. But the facts are, it may not happen. You know, these guys are contracted to their counties as well. It's a bit like, you know, when you think about Premier League football nowadays, you know, yes, there's an international break, but you'll be surprised how many times that players are unavailable because they're nursing injuries and stuff. But that's the Premier League's going, you know what, that, that player's worth $50 million. They don't want them to get injured or something. So I think every sport has it. But again, it shows up for us when we probably can't afford to lose our best three players all the time, which, again, it's, it's not perfect, but that's how it is. So, look, we'll, we'll find a happy medium somewhere down the track, I've no doubt. But um, at the end of the day, like I say, I have to pre- prepare others to take those spots. It's a bit tricky with international cricket in comparison to, say, football, where we work on two summers. Do you think one day we will kind of see something a little bit more regimented with the idea of potentially an international window for fixtures like this? Because if we're going to have qualifiers throughout the cycle towards a World Cup, you know, nations like you in particular, associate nations, will find it extremely difficult to be able to have all the available players to to play in important fixtures. Yeah, like that's a tough one to answer because... You know, I'm sure that everyone would say that, yeah, that'd be great. But, you know, with all the franchise leagues that are in now, not only the ICC are juggling home series and test series and all this sort of stuff, but, you know, every country wants their franchise league to be deemed amazing. We've got to have a a window for that as well. And I just don't see how it can all happen. I, I think the franchise leagues are the ones that is the biggest worry to me because, you know, they're going to demand more and more time and they're also paying more and more money. And, you know, we've seen, I think, a lot of international players retire literally to go and play in the IPL and, yeah. and, and Big Bash and whatever one it is. So, look, the, the, the calendars are awkward, that's for sure. Again, I don't know if I've got the answer. Um, and again, it's probably talking, it's not just the, I guess, the top 13 teams. You know, when you look at the, the next echelon, have those got players... You know, playing county cricket. I know Germany would love to have their players available all the time. You know, Bermuda, can they have rawlings whenever they want? Probably not as well. So there, it makes it awkward. But like I say, if you had a, a massive squad is international and you don't need them, then you wouldn't worry so much. But as we all know, in an associate team, one or two of your very best players playing at all times makes a massive difference to your team. It's a hard thing at the moment as well, thinking about, the news that's just come out that we're going to have expanded well we're going to have back to the future world cups on the 50 over side and also 20 teams on the on the t20 world cups on the on the men's events and if we're going to have a 14 team 
50 overall cup, you think, well, what's going to happen with the with the Super League? And you can you, know, you think, well, hopefully they'll increase it. But you think if there are more teams playing and potentially more games, and there's even more opportunity for these players not to be made available, really, isn't that when you're thinking we should have more contextual international cricket? But again, you know, the county system, let's not forget either major league cricket and minor league cricket because we're going to have a a tournament getting bigger and bigger over there with people who are moving there for their professions and perhaps getting into similar situations so rather than begrudge the fact that minor league cricket is is employing all these people it's great that cricketers can make their living but it may also mean there's an even tighter squeeze when it comes to releasing for for international competitions yeah it's like i say mate everyone wants to have a competition everyone wants to spring up and say this that and the other and and trying to fit it all in is going to be nigh on impossible. So, um, look, I, I look at the US and part of me thinks it's awesome because, let's be honest here, you know, I know the Dutch, we want to be the next full member and I know Scotland want to be the full member, but the facts are if the US get their ducks in order, they have 30 million people already watching. They have massive sponsors and all this. And, you know, now that they've thrown the gates open, my biggest worry as a coach is to say, oh, well, I don't really want to. Um, sorry, I've just got a delivery just rocking up my front door. Um, I think it's twenty World Cup Super League points, isn't it, being delivered? <laughs> yeah, it is actually. It is. It's, it's, a, it's a nice gift. Um, but you know, do we like the fact that a, a whole country can then just go? You know what? Let's just recruit a whole team. And again, people will say, "Oh, the Dutch have done that in the past." And, well, pretty much most of my guys are all uh, Dutch passports that have uh, you know get their rights by either birth or parenthood. But, you know, I know that we see it, you know, Hong Kong's an example, Oman's an example, um, and now the US. Like, I get nervous about that. I honestly do. Um, don't get me wrong, I want everyone to play international cricket. And if you can't get, get it in your own country, and again, I'm the example, I played for Hong Kong. But is it good for the game? That's a question I don't know. Um, and again, I'm going to, I'll watch the US and, in three years' time and everything sort of come to its fruition, we'll see a really, really exciting team, no doubt. But I don't know. I, um, that, that, that's a, that, I think that's a great debate for, you know, your listeners to go through. Is it, is it something we really want it to do? It's basically, so it literally means that I can go to Tim Cutler, buy Vanuatu and say, oh, I've got cash, mate. I'm going to recruit the best 15 players in the world and we're going to call it Vanuatu and we're going to win. I just don't know. Something doesn't sit right with me with that. The Springfield isotopes of cricket. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you are you waiting for the Ziggo cash to uh, to come through and then you can start building a team? <laughs> yeah, well, mate, I'll, I'll start throwing out the invitations. I, I get about a million of them every week. <laughs> don't worry, we we know how those ones go. <laughs> Tim gets them on two fronts now, so that's a fun time for him. I'm still amazed that people want to play for the emerging cricket, you know, emerging cricket national team. Yeah, we, we well, you should, mate. We need lots of all-rounders. <laughs> Please send us send us your inquiries to Daniel. No way, how? No, we better not do that. Uh, they can guess which domain that emails through. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> we just. You kind of talked about it there, but in terms of the the Super League structure and teams almost not knowing what's actually being played out, are you guys almost hoping that that people catch on really late and and the chance to kind of nick points here and there? Because it it seems to have gone under the radar. We know it's not lost on you and the likes of Ireland because we know the significance of the competition, but 
Do you think the full members are kind of resting on their laurels a little bit by how they approach this particular competition? Um, I, I think so, in all honesty. You know, we saw Ireland beat England on the last day, and again, that was Sterling and Balburnie magic. And I, I think we saw, uh, you know, Bangladesh were all over Sri Lanka um, in that series, and you just felt that they took the foot off the pedal for the last game. So, yeah, you know, it'll be interesting to know how dedicated, even the the, the words that some of the captains have said, you know, Owen Morgan was very quick to say, you know, winning the series was great, 2-1, and all. no thought that they just lost 10 points and handed it over. Of course, I'm sitting there giving it this one, going, oh, my God, what have you done? Because, uh, <laughs> you know, we didn't want Ireland to be banking those points. But, look, we'll have to see how we go. I think Zimbabwe beating Pakistan on the last game. I don't want to take away from the performances of that team. You know, Zimbabwe beating Pakistan is awesome for cricket. Ireland beating England is awesome for cricket. So I don't want to take that away. But, you know, I just wonder, you know, would Australia play a few extra players if they think they're they're dominating Afghanistan and then go, oh, you know what, we're going to give this guy a run and this and not take it. So it's a bit lighter, I guess. But look, the facts are we're going to play every game as if it's our last um, not only, like I said earlier, not just because of 10 points, but I think we're always going to be under the microscope of, oh, see, that's why World Cups were cut to 10 teams because it's not competitive. It's it's no good. So, you know, we, we, we have to put our best performances out every single time we play. Just, just on that, sort of thinking about where the Super League sits in terms of being a qualification pathway and it's an ICC tournament, you know, you, you talked about the kind of stigma of having an associate and then people thinking, oh, well, you know, they were rubbish anyway and all that kind of mentality. But then, you know, if you're getting that after you're not allowed to have your best team, it's sort of a bit bit of a contradiction, really. Yeah, well, again, that, that we'll leave that up to the ICC. All I know is that I don't have a perfect 11. I've just got the best 11 for any given day, and that's how I've always seen it. So, you know, any Dutch player that puts that shirt on and crosses the line, they have to be the best player we possibly have. So, again, the outside world can make their own decisions and assumptions. All I know is that we have to win and we have to play competitively, whoever I've got in the team. And I think that builds a great bond amongst us. And, you know, we brought in Gary Kirsten for this series to, you know, and hopefully long-term as our, our consultant coach, just to, you know, bring that extra experience. And, you know, his first words to me after a day or two of being in the bubble with us was, I just can't believe how close this team is. And, you know, no egos get in the way, no big heads. It's just that every one of them just wants to work hard, play hard and have the passion for playing for the Netherlands. And that's our story, end of that. So like I say, mate, everyone can have their own assumptions about what team we put on the park. But I just see it as 11 great Dutch players every time we go out and play. We've heard about how many languages the IPL is broadcasting and, and global events but the Super League last week was broadcasting in two languages and one of them in Dutch to a Dutch television audience for the first time ever talk about that mate probably the greatest accomplishment that this team has ever ever done and again when I say the team obviously I'm also talking about the KNCB but this team in particular you know, it's never been seen in in the Netherlands. So then the only time, the last time that cricket was seen in the Netherlands was, I think, when the BBC used to have English test cricket. Yep. And we get BBC here. So that's the last time anyone has seen a game of cricket on TV here. Now, for me to get the next generation of kids and to inspire them, they need to see it 
on TV. And we all know that. We've all been there. As a kid, I watched AFL. I wanted to be an AFL football player. I watched cricket on TV. I wanted to be Rod Marsh. You know, these are the things that we need to aspire to. And for us to finally get it on TV, for Ziggo to do such a great job of it, of not just having the, the world feed, but also then in Dutch, mate, it's you have no idea the, the scale of how good this is going to be for Dutch cricket. And having such a great game first up for them to, to broadcast. <laughs> well, that, that was almost, you know, the, the perfect answer. It was, you know, I know that the head of Zigo was, you know, writing to our chairman and, and people throughout the day going, I don't quite understand what's going on, but this is brilliant. I love it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and again, Zigo is obviously a big deal here in the Netherlands. Them putting their toe in the water to do this series just to see what it's about and, you know, what would be good. Is it good? Is it not? I think they've answered the question now. So then we can maybe go ahead with more confidence that, you know what, these games are all going to be going. The amount of, from what I've heard, you know, companies texting saying, why doesn't the Netherlands have anything on their shirt? And is that available? And, and to be honest, the whole facts were we were trying to get a sponsor. That's why you didn't see the Netherlands written on the front of our shirts because that was going to be for a sponsor. We didn't have one. So we went forward without it. But all of a sudden, the phone's starting to ring and we need to cash in on that. And we need to inject funds into our, into our programs to make it bigger and bigger. And like I say, it was an exciting day for Dutch cricket last Wednesday. For it to go down to the last ball, the fairy tale script, the Dutch win, the crowds go, well, whoever was there went crazy. <laughs> and people around the world were going crazy. You know, my I'm lucky I got friends all around the world, but the amount of people that were watching everywhere, they couldn't believe it. They were glued to their seats. And, you know, that's that's an amazing thing for Dutch cricket. Yeah, and even the production and, and the way it was broadcast to the world, I thought was thoroughly professional. And, and, and having that Dutch presence uh, for the Dutch TV audience as well will obviously have its its benefits into the future. Just wondering, do you have a ballpark figure of how much Emerging Cricket needs to fork out to get on the front of that shirt? Or <laughs> is, it, is, it, well, is it out of the question? A lot, a lot more than it was, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, it's probably about quarter of Tim's uh, salary from Vanuatu. So uh, <laughs> I'm sure he could, he could just do it himself. But um, look, like I say, we, we, we laugh and joke, but the facts are the KNCB and us, we haven't had a sponsor since ABN Ambro left us five, six, seven years ago. So it has been tough, but if we can keep going on a world stage, and just to give you some form of perspective, even our games against Scotland, where we live stream, there was 1.1 million people watched that each day, and that's individual hits. So our message is getting out there, and now we need to cash in on it. That's the whole cold hard truth. The team has put forward a product and now the administrators have got to take that and run with it and cash in. And, and we need, you know, we coming up, we've got the World Cup, South Africa, Zimbabwe this year. We've got New Zealand in January. And then next year, it's like I said before, England, West Indies, Pakistan. That's a lot of people watching our team. It's a lot of people watching cricket and watching the Dutch team. So thinking of that, Ryan, it's very strange calling you Ryan. Um, where next? How does Dutch cricket leverage and launch from this opportunity of having cricket there on TV? Because how many months is it until the, ne the next series? And we've got the World Cup coming up. And will that be on, on Dutch TV? What's, what's the next step to, to get cricket into... Well, mainstream, but more and more people watching it. Well, yeah, that's going to be the interesting point. We have a new CEO here, Malena Van Not, and I'm sure she's now 
all over what's going on and you know now it's really up to her and her team to to cash in we, we don't play again unfortunately until probably the world cup there may be a tri-series being thrown about between ireland and scotland for a t20 tournament maybe in september that which would be fantastic if that gets up so there are going to be opportunities but again i'm all of the belief that you can't wait now you have to throw all your resources and every person you have, they got to be hitting the phones. they got to be talking to the right people and we got to present what we can offer to a potential sponsor. You can't just ask for money. you got to actually give them, well, here's what you get. This is what we're going to offer. This is what you get. These are the amount of people, the numbers we're talking about being able to watch. So look, I, I think also, again, I, I think in the past, we've always tried to look for a Dutch sponsor a Dutch company, but I think we're over that as well, to be honest. I think we're now on a world stage where we should be opening it up to the world. We, you know, you got it. This is what we want. What do you do? As long as you tick all the boxes, then sure, why not? Without selling your soul, so to speak. But you know what? This whole Super League is about us as the Dutch trying to cash in and get a, a war chest, so to speak, to then be able to pump it into club crickets and into our high-performance programs and our junior high-performance programs. Any uh, Perth housing companies approaching you yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know a pretty good one. Niche living, I would have thought. <laughs> right across here. The potential of the World Cup moving a second time how important has it been it, it's almost a, another consequence of you testing out so many different players over the last cycle what do you do now you know say for instance it does move to uae you had the qualifier there do you rip your notebook up again preparing for india now that you're preparing for, for uae how does that all work especially if it's oman before the uae as well well yeah we could talk about that too well, they yeah, I've heard that Oman's been thrown up into it, which obviously we played there before. Um, look, I don't think it would change too much because, you know, the UAE and India, they're not exactly alike, but there are similarities. Would we go with, you know, in a 15-man squad, do we go with one extra fast bowler or one extra spinner because it's India or the UAE? That That's there the questions that's going to come about, but for me, I just think a decision has to be made. Um, I know India have asked for longer, but for countries like us, we need to plan ahead. You know, we need to know where our pre-tour is going to be. We can't keep changing. You know, originally we were thinking of going to Sri Lanka, but if it's now that we're going to go to the UAE, then, well, there's no real point us going to Sri Lanka. We probably have to go to maybe Abu Dhabi or to Oman or something like that for our pre-tour. So all those little things that they do count. For us and they need to make a decision pretty quick the other one is that they're flouting about that obviously with COVID that you can take 15 man squads but then you can take seven extra but you have to pay for them yourself let's be honest here there's no way that we're going to take 22 players we, we can't afford that yeah so you know you're going to have australia with 22 plus their 25 coaching staff <laughs> and then you'll have us with 15 and me and jimmy hilditch doing the throwdowns every day no we'll have a, um our, our coaching staff extends for big tournaments like that but you know that, that's the thing the, this whole COVID is also going to add a layer of the haves and the have-nots they're going to be able to bring as many as they want and the teams that can't afford it can't do it we'll we'll, we'll get warm we'll we'll do the throwdowns free of charge if, if you need us to because that's just another it, it just exacerbates another disadvantage that the associate members have and then the haves and have-nots which you mentioned and then it's one of those things where people probably don't realize as as casual viewers just how difficult it can be from from the top the, the big three all the way down not only to 
some of the four members, but then to go again to, to where you guys sit in, in the order of international cricket, it, it must be hugely difficult. Oh, mate, extremely. Coaching structures are so important. And again, I, I, people might be thinking, oh, that, I'm just saying that because I'm a coach. But, you know, the facts are in the Netherlands, there's myself and Jimmy Hilditch um, look after the national team, the A team, pretty much the 19s as well. And, mate, that's tough. It, it's tough. Jimmy's also our, our analyst as well. So, you know, everyone's got multitask. You know, we had we have we brought Peter Boren in to help out part time as well, and we've got now Piers Fletcher who'll be helping with the 19s, which is really important for us. But you know, on any given day, when you're just working, you could be working with 35 blokes. And again, I've tried to extend that squad, and now our depth of talent is getting bigger and bigger. But then, how do you service them? You know, at the moment, since we went to Nepal, I haven't seen our A squad since we left Nepal to go to Nepal in April. Literally because I haven't had time. I, I've either been in Ireland, Scott, preparing for Scotland, and then for this, plus the worries of COVID. So we're not trying to make the squads too big because you have to be so careful. I, I just can't explain how hard it is. And, and people can just say, oh, we'll just get more coaching. Mate, you need funds for that. <laughs> it costs a lot of money to, to get coaching, especially in, you know, again, you live in Europe, you have to pay in euro. Plus, you have to pay taxes in euro and all this. It's, you know, suddenly if you're in the subcontinent, your 100,000 euros goes a long way if you wanted to invest. 100,000 euros here probably doesn't get you very far. And again, that, that's just some of the, the, the things we have to tackle. And again, I think one of my greatest strengths over the four and a half years here is finding a way. You know, we, we get people in that can do multi-jobs, multitask and you know, everyone's doing something. Uh, Gary uh, Kirsten actually said to me yesterday that uh, I've got this whole double job thing and I'm going to be the, the assistant coach, but I'm also going to be the barista. So I'm going to get all the coffees for you guys every time we, we're around. I said, well, now you're getting into the spirit, mate. You're getting into the spirit. And there's a guy that's going to go coach, you know, coaching 100 in not too distant future. But, mate, he gets an appreciation of it. And it's funny, when you bring these guys in, and they still they see the passion and the essence of the, of players wanting to get better. And they've been, you know, with IPL teams, he's been with India, he's done that. He goes, mate, this is more enjoyable. It, it honestly is because you know, you, you're coaching players for the purest of reasons and, and you're working hard, yes, but it is what it is. And, you know, when he goes to the 100 and he has about 27 staff, he'll be fine. He'll be sitting back relaxing because he's, he's done the hard yards. That was almost exactly the same thing HD Ackerman said in Namibia when he talked about linking up with with that team as a as a batting consultant. He said he never realised how tough it was, and then when he got into it, it was probably one of the most fulfilling duties he ever had was to to purely coach guys from you know in an associate member so close to them. But I don't think those from the outside, as you as you mentioned, realise just how difficult it can be. Uh, yeah, it, it is tough. But again, you know, I'm very clear with all of my coaching staff that I bring in. It's the same as my players. You know, I want my players to do outstandingly well on a big stage. So, you know what? A franchise do look at them and they go, geez, this kid's all right. Freddie Classen's all right. Mate, why haven't I picked him in the 100? Same with my coaching staff. I bring guys in to give them opportunities. And if they're good at their job, we're talking about Trevor Penny in the past, got taken by the West Indies. Chris Little was a fantastic bowling coach. Straight away, Northampton grabbed him. Uh, you know, I've had physios. I've had, it's an opportunity. Use it as a stepping stone. And, you know, Jimmy Hilditch, like I say, James Hilditch, my assistant, I think he's going to be an amazing coach. Son of Andrew Hilditch, the former Australian player, grandson of Bobby Simpson. The pedigree is outstanding. But, mate, he's a, a brilliant coach. 
are we going to keep him here in the Netherlands forever? No chance. Someone will snap him up. But that that's my job, is to make sure that I'm also giving the stepping stones to not just my players, but also my coaching staff. So you, you're just talking a bit about the, the coaching setup and the preparation. That leads into a question from uh, one of our contributors, David Ager. And, and it, it's around the upcoming T20 and the, you know, the future Cricket World Cup Super League fixtures. You know, what are the plans for squad meetups and, and how are you going to try and prep for those fixtures? Yeah, so look, every time we... So, for instance, we'll plan, obviously, for the World Cup. That is going to be the easy one because... Our county players will be playing, you know, right to the end of September. We're going to try and get this tri-series. for So our club cricket will finish at probably the first weekend of September. So then I've got three weeks to make sure that those guys are still up and running. Obviously, the tri-series is going to be good for that. But again, so the World Cup's easy. Then you look at afterwards, we've got to go to South Africa um, sometime in November. So we'll probably need to go there 10 days before and really get stuck in hard and work hard and then go straight to Zimbabwe. Um, again, New Zealand's going to be a tough one because we're going to have to probably go through 14 days of self-isolation when we arrive. What, what does a cricket do do for 14 days if you can't train? So yeah, that, that, that out of season is quite tough, but we always, I think with good planning, you can get the work in because I know that my guys are really hard working and you know we, we work day and night to get, get up and ready. But again, it's not perfect. Um, you know, if we're playing in our summer and, and a Michael Rippon comes from New Zealand, for instance, he might not have played for three months. So we have to get him up to speed. And, and that's just the, I guess, international cricket is that. It's a franchise league. It's a whatever league. You have to just put the hard yards in, get the work into the guys. And like I say, it can be tough. I, I, I mentioned earlier, going to Nepal with only two days of outdoor training was just stupid, in all honesty. We we were no chance of performing at our, our level. And fast bowlers need time to get out in the middle and they need to bowl. And so you got to you've got to judge how much work you can get in. And again, you know, if you've got a shorter period, then you also have to worry about their loads and things. And, you know, all of a sudden they've gone from nothing to bowling every day for four days. They generally break down. So mate, that's a lot of study. It's a lot of uh, consultation with our our, our physio and S&C guy, Georgie Dunlop, who does a great job for us. And, you know, we're always trying to keep their loads and keeping a close eye on, on the players' health and well-being. And um, in terms of the domestic competition, we got a couple of questions around that from, from David and, and from Shonak. Um, any, any standout players from the top class that you've got an eye on to you know, bring into the mix? Look, I, I think I'm always keeping an eye out, um, you know, for, for talent I go to club cricket every weekend I've umpired club cricket just to be involved and watch so I, I don't I don't think I miss too many but you know kids like um, Julian DeMay we saw in Nepal as a big left arm spinner I think has got a world of talent the youngsters like I say Vikram Singh uh, Boris Gourlay is another one that I'd throw in that is a really good young batsman Arnav Yarn is, is a young off spinner that's on the way up as well. So for those guys who are in our sort of our RA squad and things, they have to dominate club cricket. That's the whole thing that we keep talking about. You have to dominate in that league to really grasp your attention because there is a massive step up between top class and international cricket. And the facts are we don't have a first class system. So they miss out a layer of learning really. Um, so we're trying to get the A-team playing as much as we can. Our pro series is good, but again, I have to time it right so we have all our players available because there's no point playing a pro series game if 
Logan Van Bake and Viv Kingmark aren't bowling it because it gets a bit like same same in club cricket, and I don't want it to be that. So um, yeah, there, there's there's a couple that could stick out. I'll always keep backing a young kid like Philip Boussevain. I think as a leggy, he's got outstanding potential. And to be honest, it killed us every day in this series against Ireland not picking him. Um, it was just the fact of trying to balance the teams and the and and getting the the knowledge of the wicket right. And we just felt that four fast bowlers was the way to go. But, mate, he's a kid that, you know me, I'm going to push him and I'm going to pick him as often as I can because I love a good leg in my team. And um, just just to round out, you know, Shonak was asking uh, if you had any thoughts about how the domestic structure can be improved to to keep producing those those quality players and, um, you know, yeah, improve the standard. Yeah, that's a tough one because there's a lot of... Um, factors i think that go into it look would i say less teams in the top cluster maybe but in saying that then if there's less teams in the top cluster do all the national players and all the a-team players then have to leave their clubs and go to top cluster teams which again you want that loyalty as well to your club and i would hate to rip away a youngster from his club that he's been brought up with to say oh well you got to play in the top cluster that's the only way you're going to get picked so yeah there's lots of debate about that and that's why I guess you got to get the number of professionals playing in the teams right. Um, is it one? Is it two? That That's up for debate. I, I'm very big on making sure that all our national players play as much as possible. And if any person around the world with a Dutch passport is keen to play for the Netherlands and think they can just walk into our team, that's not going to happen. You need to come and spend time playing top class. So you need to dominate top class. And that's the difference between now and yesteryear of the Dutch. If there was a kid that was with a Dutch passport, oh, yeah, we've heard he's really good in Australia. Mate, he'd walk straight into the team, sight unseen. Mate, that never happens under my watch. You know, all these guys, Brandon Glover, had to come and play club cricket. Logan Van Bake, he'd been in this before, but he'd gone for well, but had to come back and play in our club system before we're going to pick him. So I've made that very clear that, one, I wanted the top class to improve, and by getting those guys playing the top class, that helps. And two, like everything. Got to get you got to do well to get picked and it's the same I, I get that question a million times oh is tom cooper gonna play i'll tell you what tom cooper can play when he comes to play club cricket simple as that come and play some club cricket and then we'll consider it but that's one that you know it, it just it doesn't happen anymore so again that's the way that i can help the top class are getting better is by getting these players with dutch origins here and playing and living in the netherlands we were remarking before we started recording, Cambo, that it's five years since your uh, your stag weekend in Bali. <laughs> I know it's not quite five years since you've been in the Netherlands, but briefly, as you, you look back at the experience of leaving Hong Kong, moving to the Netherlands and taking on this team, what, what are some of the, the emotions or some of the thoughts you have when you, you, you look back on your experience so far? Uh, probably the one is pride. Like I say, I... I took over a team that were, were pretty good, but I think the professionalism that we brought to this team, I often say to people that, you know, when they ask me that exact question, you know, what's your greatest achievement for the Netherlands? You know, I could throw up, yeah, we won the World Cricket League, we beat Zimbabwe, now we beat Nyland. But the actual, the greatest thing that I've done is I got Ryan Tenderscarter back playing for the Netherlands. There, there's a guy that vowed in 2011 that he would never, ever play another game for the Netherlands because it wasn't professional enough. The players didn't care. The setup was rubbish. And it's taken me a long time to prove to him when we played against Essex, when we, you know, the players that were coming across, the setups. It took me a long time to get him to even consider 
coming back. And when he did against Namibia, the first thing that he said was, mate, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't realise what this was. And I'm in. I'm in 100%. And I know he didn't play this series, but forgetting the, got, the type of person that Ryan Tenderscutter is back and playing and being so passionate about playing for the Netherlands is probably my greatest achievement. And through that, it's spread, you know, to the guys like Colin Ackerman. And when a Freddie Klassen drives across from Kent, because that was what they so they were saying, because they obviously limit the COVID contacts, then, mate, he comes and the passion that he has of playing for this team, when you hear our song being sung, you know, the passion that's in that when we win, I think that's the pride that I um, will look back on. I'm, I'm starting to sound like I'm leaving. I'm not leaving. Um, you know, <laughs> It's been awesome. You know, did I ever know that when I left Hong Kong that my almost six-year-old would be speaking fluent Dutch? My three-year-old speaks Dutch. You know, we live the life here that it's a great country to live in. So, look, I'd love my time here. I miss, obviously, I miss my home, uh, Hong Kong and stuff, but it's been a great learning experience for me as a coach. And, you know, hopefully I'm a better coach now than when I was when I first arrived. And, you know, like I say, I think when people look at our team now, you see a professional hard-nosed unit that is there to compete. And again, that's probably something I, I, I get most pride out of. Well, how's your Dutch now? <laughs> yeah, yeah we were that all was about a... to ask the same question, weren't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it was on the on the list to ask you as well. It's like, geez, you've opened the door for us. Perfect. So, you know, you've got three out of four people confirmed in the household that are fluent <laughs> in Dutch. How's, how's dad? How, how's uh, Ryan John Campbell? Um, I take Jake with me everywhere and he's my translator and so he, he, he talks for me. My biggest fear, of course, is when uh, Emily and Jake realise that I really can't speak any Dutch and they can and they start talking to each other in Dutch and talking about me in Dutch and then, you know, then I'm in real trouble. Um, Mum, obviously, uh, Leontina knows enough that she they can't get away with that with, with her, but um, yeah, with me, oh, look, I, I, I get some words and I can order a beer at the bar. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty limited to me. It's probably as good as my, uh, my Hong Kong language, yeah, Tim, when I left there. Tim, my Cantonese. Yeah, it's been a while. It's like it, it's like a lot of people there, you know, you can get around in a taxi and that's about it. But um, I just can imagine the three-year-old, the six-year-old scheming in a language and you're just, you're just sitting in the corner like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, you've got me around your little fingers. <laughs> Mate, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest, I have, you know, we have obviously have play dates around here and Jake brings his friends home and, you know, they're in his room playing and they're, they're talking and this, and I actually have to walk up there and go, who's in my house? It's like, who's talking here? And then I see him and it's like, Oh God, that's my son. <laughs> he's a he's a Dutchie, and he even uh, you you'll love this. Him being a proud Perth boy that loves the heat. My son is so Dutch that you know when it's hot, it's like Dad, where's the air conditioner? Let's it's too oh. hot. Let's cool down. It's like oh my God, oh, no. you are Dutch. All I need to make the complete the picture is he starts watching rugby league and not AFL. <laughs> that, that would just be the the you know, icing on that the would, cake. That would be the because, last name. You know, I, I, I didn't wouldn't. say anything earlier, but the fact that that was the first sport you mentioned about watching on TV and that was what you wanted it to be. Typical Perth folk. It's like, you know, it's like <laughs> Perth, Melbourne, Adelaide. It's like AFL first. We're on a cricket podcast and you mentioned AFL first. <laughs> well, well, Tim, I'll, I'll let you know for a fact that he wakes up early with me on a Saturday morning. If the Frio Dockers are on, we watch it together. So he's into his footy. He's got his little footy starting to kick it around. We'll get family services. That's child abuse, isn't it? Making him watch that. <laughs> <laughs> 
He loves it. It'll go. It'll go full full circle. And when the Dutch have an Australian rules football team, he's he's the first one picked in it. <laughs> well, it's it's an interesting one. You know, everyone talks about being a parent. Uh, you know, what are your kids going to do and stuff? And I and I was very much. You know, I didn't want him to play cricket, or I'd love for him to play a team sport. And same with Emily. I'd love for them to be involved in a that team culture. But he literally, when I was watching the Big Bash here during throughout winter. Um, obviously, I watch as much Big Bash as I can to pick up notes and things, but man, he would be down with me asking when the Scorchers are playing, if the Scorchers are on. He didn't move. And then from that, all of a sudden, it was, oh, Dad, come on, let's go play cricket. Come on, let's go play cricket. So he's actually joined his club. He's now with Rudenwitz, <laughs> which is the red and white club in, in Harlem. He's just started um, having a few hits. And um, look, totally up to him. I'm definitely not going to be one of those angry parents that's sitting on the sideline <laughs> yelling and screaming. If he, if he wants to play, he can play. If he doesn't, then so be it. Then there must be a fire still burning inside because I'm sure that anger's there ready to... <laughs> <laughs> well, the players get it every now and again if, we, if we're not going too yeah, well. Well, I was going to say, after after game two, you know, we, I've, I've seen you in, in full flight, but no, that's wonderful. And I guess it just shows how important it is as well of things being on TV and having that exposure. So we can only hope more and more Dutch kids will, will have that experience. Yeah, let's keep our fingers crossed because, um, like I say, this Super League has to be the start of something very special for us and hopefully we can cash in on it. It sounds like everything is going fantastically well in the Netherlands. Ryan Campbell, once again, well done on the recent ODI Super League series. We can't wait to see you guys in action again and at a T20 World Cup, wherever that may be. Once again, thanks for joining the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks for all your support. You're doing a, a great job for Associate Cricket. That's all from us this week. We'll wrap the Kwabuka Women's Tournament and other news around the emerging cricket world on next week's show. But for now, on behalf of Tim Cutler, Nick Skinner and myself, Daniel Beswick, catch you next week.